This is Recognize, a podcast about the NHL's black and biracial hockey heroes, proudly supported by eBay Canada. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Every year they came out with a new set of cards, so I was an avid collector and I always had a set of the original six teams. Alton White was born in 1945 in Amherst, Nova Scotia. He played three seasons in the NHL's short-lived rival league, the World Hockey Association. He is best known for being the second player of African descent to have played on a professional major ice hockey team. He was also the first player of African descent to score 20 goals in a single season and the first black player in history to score a hat trick in a major professional game. So uh, Alton, it's really special to have you on the podcast. We're honored to have you on. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be there. So you were the first black player to play in the World Hockey Association. You're a real true uh, trailblazer for uh, diversity in hockey. And to start out with, earlier I showed you a card of you with the Los Angeles, were they called the Sharks? Yes, Los Angeles Sharks, yep. Yeah, so there's a card, but it was a special card that was made uh, years after you played. And I wanted to ask you, what comes to mind when you see that card? I know it's the second team you played for. Your first team was the New York Raiders. But what comes to mind when you see that hockey card? Well, you know, it just brings back old memories because we had uh, very good times in, in Los Angeles and uh, uh, we had a pretty good team and I had good seasons there, a good season there. And uh, uh, it was just uh, a pleasure to, to get a chance to play in a major league at that time because uh, I was always passed by in the NHL, uh, even though, you know, I played in Providence and we were affiliated with Oakland Seals who didn't have a real strong team, but I always had good years and if they needed somebody, they always picked somebody who had five or six goals where I had 25 or 30, and I never got the opportunity. So playing in the uh, World Hockey Association was really a, a big thing for me. And if I could stick on the card for a moment, do you remember when that photo was taken? It's a real unique uh, card. I, I did include it in the card collection that traveled across uh, North America last year. I'm just curious if you recall when that photo was taken. Well, I guess it would have been in 1972, or yeah, 72. That card was t- was made, and it was for a promotional uh, uh, thing for the Sharks at that time. Because okay, and have you kept that I, card? Do you have any other cards from that era? I do have a few cards around here. Uh, one from yeah, most of from L.A., some from New York. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have much luck finding the New York Raiders card when I was doing my uh, card collecting uh, piece. Um, but there was a story in Ebony Magazine I wanted to ask you about, if you recall being interviewed. It was uh, in the early 1970s, and, and Ebony Magazine and Jet, um, at least yeah. when I was growing up, they're two popular uh, Black-focused uh, magazines. So do you recall that interview? It was quite a lengthy interview. Yeah, it was a long interview. You know, uh, Actually, the guy... Uh, the- it first started, was initiated when we were playing in Chicago. Uh, we were playing against the Cougars, and I, I, I had a hat trick that game, actually. And uh, they followed us around. It was really 
a big story. And then, then when we went back home to L.A., they came out to visit my wife Linda and I, and they shot uh, pictures with Linda and I playing chess at home, uh, sitting by the pool in L.A. So it was quite an extensive interview. Yeah, when I looked at it today, it seemed to be like something that should be an exhibit. It's really, um, really uh, informative article and really historic. Yeah, so, would. yeah, it'd be nice yeah. to collect that someday. So, uh, yeah. and I want to get back to the cards again with your collection, uh, collecting yeah. habits. So as a young child, um, did you collect any cards when you grew up? Yeah, always, you know, like growing up in Winnipeg, you know, we that was one of the things. Back then, there was only six teams in the NHL, so uh, they had cards, and we collected the, the whole, the, the, there's six teams like Toronto, the original six, so, and every year they came out with a new set of cards, so I was an avid collector, and I always had a set of the original six teams. I, unfortunately, I don't have them anymore, but uh, they were, we used to always collect cards, and baseball cards too, any kind yeah. of cards was yeah. yeah, and that's what everyone says. They wish they kept them. Is there any names of very uh, star players that you recall um, cherishing? Well, well, of course, growing up in Winnipeg and a hockey fan, I liked Andy Bathgate was my favorite player in the NHL at that time because he was from Winnipeg. But Gordie Howe, everybody idolized Gordie Howe and, you know, and Rocket Richard, you know. So, yeah, I always idolized the NHL players. Well, that's great. So I want to ask you about growing up, you were born in Amherst, Nova Scotia. And could you describe to us what life was like in your household? We did interview a, a player who I know you're aware of, Bill Riley, um, who, who's also from Amherst, Nova Scotia. So maybe tell us what it was like growing up for you. Well, you know, like a very small town, right? Amherst, there's a, probably five or 6,000 people at that time. And the black population was small, but uh, you know, we, most of the black kids played hockey and, you know, like we're, we lived on a small little plot of land. Uh, but I had one uncle two, uh, on either side of us and my dad was in the middle because my dad had four brothers and they were all athletic. So uh, we used to play baseball in the summer and then we had a natural sheet of ice in the wintertime between our house and my uncle's. So that's where I learned to skate. I started skating, I guess I was three years old, three and a half years old. So yeah, it was great growing up there. And then in the summertime, we play baseball, we go fishing and swimming. It was a typical small town, Nova Scotia, but everybody knew everybody. And back then, everything kind of uh, was associated with the church. The church organized all kinds of stuff, organized baseball games and organized hockey teams and stuff like that. So it was really a great place to grow up. So there's a, there's a real historic um, black hockey history with the color league, which was run in the East coast from the late 1880s to, I believe the 1930s. Did, were you aware of that league and did your relatives and parents talk about that league when you were growing up? Well, actually, you know, my mom used to always tell me that my uncle was a very good hockey player and I never got to meet him because he passed away before I was born. But uh, and he, my uncle, played for the Amherst Royals uh, in the old Black League, and I didn't realize that till just recently because my cousin, who worked in the archives in in uh, Amherst, still, he sent me a copy of uh, a write up of one of the games, and my uncle's name was Lloyd Williams, 
and he was a really good player, and I didn't realize that. But my uncle told me, my my mom used to tell me that her brother was a very good hockey player. Well, that's a remarkable story. So I want to touch on, there's an article re- written a few years ago that mentions um, you're, you were also a baseball player, quite the baseball player, and local sports pages had you playing for the Braves in Winnipeg, Optimist, number two Little League from 1956 to 59. And it says that you were a member of the South Winnipeg All-Stars that traveled to Brandon to meet the City All-Stars and won the Provincial League Baseball Championship. And it said you made two hits, including a triple, stopped the line drive, a one-handed catch in the seventh to retire Brandon. So that's quite an accomplishment. Could you elaborate more on your exploits in other sports, such as baseball? Well, you know, I love, I love baseball. It's one of my favorite sports, the second favorite sport. And in Winnipeg, you know, we played hockey in the wintertime. We played baseball in the summertime. And we always, you know, hockey players were, you know, they're quite athletic. And they, they, they played multi-sports, lots of sports. And a lot of the guys that I played hockey with, I played baseball with. And we, we you know, they're good athletes, they're good baseball players. So uh, when I played in the South End, I, I used to play shortstop or center field because I, I could really, I was pretty quick. So I covered a lot of a lot of ground in the outfield but big games I was always I always played shortstop I remember that game in, in Brandon <laughs> one of the few things I can remember uh, it was a really good had super time yeah. uh, and it was for the Western Canada uh, championship I think a special moment for sure and then it says uh, while attending Kelvin High School uh, White played football for the school team and baseball team for the Isaac Brock Community Club and you continued baseball through your first year at United College. So can you take us up to that point in time and what the experience was like at United College? Yeah, well, actually, I, uh, after I came back from playing my first year in, in, uh, in Fort Wayne, I came back and I was going to school and uh, United College. And I played uh, back then, I played baseball in the summertime. And then my mom passed away just before the season ended and uh, that, that ended my college career, so I went down and I played hockey in, in Fort Wayne. I left Fort Wayne and went down and played in uh, in Columbus. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of a trying thing for me because my mom was a big part of my life, and when, when we lost her, I was kind of uh, at loose ends. And uh, actually, when I went to Columbus, uh, I was, it, it was a turning point for me because I met some wonderful people there. That's right. So we'll get into to a moment. Um, I want to circle back to your experiences and your uh, ability to play hockey. So did you feel, when did you feel you were really good at hockey? At what point in time? Well, you know, uh, I could skate. When I, I could always skate. I learned to skate in, in Nova Scotia. And we moved to, to Winnipeg when I was, uh, I just turned nine years old. But I, like I was, I started skating at age three, so I, I skated quite a, quite well in in Nova Scotia because I used to play with my brothers. My brothers, I had three older brothers, and I take them skating all the time. So when we moved to Winnipeg, I could really skate. And uh, so my first year in Winnipeg, I didn't play minor hockey. I was nine years old. But after the first year in Winnipeg, our family moved down south to uh, Fort Rouge area. Fort Gary, South End, and uh, they had very good hockey programs there and good athletic programs, actually. And there was a, a gentleman there, his name is Joe Wucher, and uh, he, he saw me skate, and 
I was, I was, I guess it was nine and a half, ten years old. But we didn't have a team for ten years old. We had the the team eleven and twelve years old. So he said, "Hey, I, I'm gonna bring you up to play with these eleven and twelve year olds because you can skate well enough." And I said, "Well, you know, I've never played any organized hockey. I don't even know the rules." He said, "Well, the way you can skate, I'll teach you hockey." So that's where I started playing organized hockey at the federal grade under Joe Wooten. He was the, my first real coach. So I like the connection between your early roots of skating when you're three years old. And then um, you say you actually stopped playing for a year, but you obviously had a strong foundation of skating that was established at a young age. Yeah, I could, I, I was a good skater. Cause, and my brothers would take me out skating too, because my brothers all played hockey, but they never had the opportunities as I had. I, cause I got the opportunity after our family moved to Winnipeg. Yeah. So was there, was there more opportunity to play in Winnipeg or was the same as the East coast? Oh, there was more opportunity because it was much more organized in Winnipeg. We had like the programs there for, you know, and we had ice time for kids, the various teams, and we had a lot better instruction at that time. Because in Winnipeg and Nova Scotia, there was only one big rink where you could play. And then, uh, you know, like we used to play on hockey, shinny hockey. But Winnipeg was a very, very advantageous and, and very well organized. Okay. And was your family uh, welcome with open arms? There's no differences in terms of uh, you being uh, one of the few black uh, kids in, in Winnipeg? No, actually, you know, uh, I was. we were very well accepted. In, well, to begin with, all my brothers are very outgoing, congenial, and my mom and dad were too. They're everybody, they treated everybody the way that you wanted people to treat you. So that's re reciprocated. And uh, Winnipeg was, and where we lived, especially when we moved to Fort Rouge, it was like a League of Nations. We had people from all over. There was like French, Italian, Scottish, Indigenous, uh, people from uh, Holland. And we were the only black family growing up. So uh, everybody just got along. It was really well. Really that good. sounds like a nice mix of people. And um... it was. We are very cosmopolitan. Yeah. And you, you mentioned Indigenous. Were there many players of Indigenous background you recall playing with? Or? The year, they used to always have an all-star game, and they picked one player from each team. And we play against the North End and uh, or the East End or the West End. We were from the South. And I always ended up playing on a line with Phil Fontaine. So, and he was, he was, uh, I, 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 I played with him three or four years in a row, and we, we got along pretty well. Okay. And you tell the listeners in terms of uh, Mr. Fontaine's career, what did he do afterwards? Was he? Well, uh, he was the head of the uh, indigenous. Linda, what was his? I can't remember his title, but he's very high up. He, he was he went over to England when they had the, uh, for the Queen's. Uh, okay. So like a pl political representative. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's very political savvy. He's well known in the political. Uh, realm. Okay. So then, um, could you touch on some of the people who influenced your development overall as a hockey player before you launched into junior? Well, actually, you know, like, uh, I, like I mentioned, Joe, Joe Wooter was instrumental getting me initiated to play hockey. And then when I played midget hockey, I had a coach, uh, uh, Jack Stewart was a, uh, I think phantom coach. And then Tom Gills, uh, was my, uh, 
midget coach, and then I left midget and went to junior, and that's where I really got some good instruction because I had a fantastic coach, Gordy Pennell, in Winnipeg. He was a really good coach, and he's well known. He used to be he played pro hockey for quite a few years too, but uh, he was uh, he really taught me a lot. At what point in time did you feel you maybe had a future for pro hockey? Was it even before the Winnipeg experience, or? It was always an aspiration to play pro hockey. I want everybody wants to be in the NHL, right? So when I played junior hockey, Gordy Panner used to say, "Keep going, you know, work at." I wasn't very smart. Or very, I wasn't very smart. I wasn't very big. I was small, the small size. Got to use. You got to use your smarts and speed, and you know, and be able to think. So. Uh, Gordy Panel really planted the seeds that I could play pro hockey. So then back then, there really wasn't any um, draft until we get into the 70s. So were you um, started to be recruited by uh, teams? I, I believe reading that the New York Rangers may have had your rights. Well, yeah, you see what happened back then. Before the draft, uh, the junior teams were sponsored by the NHL team. So the Winnipeg Rangers were sponsored by the New York Rangers. And they used to come by, like, actually, Winnipeg, uh, Rangers had their training camp in Winnipeg a couple of years. So we got to meet some of the guys. Like, I got to meet Andy Bathgate, and Emil Francis was the general manager, Red Sullivan, the coach. So I got to meet them. But when you graduated from junior back then, you signed a C form, dreaded C form, they called it. And then you're, you're owned by that team. They had all your rights. So when you went to training camp, you went to training camp with the New York Rangers, and they had affiliations with a team in the Western League, which was the Vancouver Canucks. They had a team affiliation with Buffalo, and then they sent also guys, and they sent teams to St. Louis and the Central League, which was the development league in, in Fort Wayne uh, in the International League, which is where they sent me uh, when I was uh, 19. Okay. So can you tell the listeners what type of player you were? I, I know the year you played for uh, the Winnipeg Rangers, 29 games played, 35 points. So you were really quite the uh, quite the scorer. Uh, do you want to well, elaborate yeah. further? Well, I you know I could skate, and I could score goals. So this is one of my good things because I, I you know uh, quickness was a real asset. But I was good around the net. I could handle the puck well, and I could pass the puck well, uh, real well too. And that was one of the things that Gordy Panel stressed when I when I played junior. He said. Let the puck do the work. I mean, a lot of the, nobody moves as fast as the puck, so move the puck and always be able to read the play and jump in the hole. So, uh, so you know, I used to think intelligence and speed were two of my assets. Sure. And were you a centerman all, at all times? Well, when I played junior, I center, but on the when I turned went to Fort Wayne, they put me on the wing because I could skate and you know, and I could. Beat a lot of the defensemen wide and everything. So I, I was 50-50. Okay. So getting back to the rights of the Rangers then, can you tell us about your transition then from the uh, major junior hockey to the International Hockey League? You played for Fort Wayne, then you played okay. for Columbus, and then you make the leap to the Providence Reds. Yeah. So when I went to Fort Wayne with <laughs> – was kind of strange. I never heard. I didn't even know where Fort Wayne was or anything. And, and you know, like, the thing about it back then, the teams weren't very big. We only had 15 guys on the roster, so we had nine forwards, four defense, and two goaltenders. So everybody got to know everybody, and you know, you 
you always hung out together. And one thing about when I went to Fort Wayne, there were a lot of guys from the West, like there's three or four guys from Winnipeg and a couple guys from Flintstone and a couple guys from Saskatchewan. So it was kind of like old home week. So you weren't, you know, you, you got to, you felt comfortable because Fort Wayne was the first time I was ever away from home. Because even when I played junior, I always slept in my own bed at night. So Fort Wayne was a was a most learning experience because I, you know, fifteen hundred miles away from home. I can't call my mom. I don't get home quick meals and everything. So it was it was an adjustment. So there's an article here that talks about on November twentieth, nineteen sixty five, that the New York Rangers were taking a long look at White, and soon after he was drafted into their organization. So that all happened at Fort Wayne, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because Fort Wayne had an, had an uh, affiliate, they, they had a working agreement with the Rangers. Okay. So then how do you move on, same league, with the Fort Wayne over to Columbus? Was that a trade or was that just a reassignment? Uh, no, what happened was uh, Columbus was an expansion team, first team. In, they, like, there was only five, uh, six teams, and then the next year, it was a, they had an expansion draft. So, and I was drafted uh, out of Fort Wayne. Uh, I went to Des Moines. They drafted me out of out of, out of uh, Fort Wayne. And then I didn't want to go to Des Moines. So they so I said, I'll go to Columbus. So they sent me to Columbus. And that's how I ended up there. Okay. So, like an interleague draft. That's right. Okay. So what were some of the highlights of your experience during that time period uh, pre-WHL playing in, for those teams? Well, Columbus, Columbus, like... Uh, was a real turning point for me because you know I met some really good people I, and it was a young development team and we had a good bunch of guys so uh, one of the and like I said at that time when I went to Columbus it was just after my mama passed away so I kind of you know I had loose ends and I was fortunate enough to meet a couple ladies there one was her name was Ann, Ann Walker and she was a uh, a radio personality, a black radio personality, and she worked for the radio station. And the owner of the team got a hold of Anne and said, well, listen, you might want to talk to this young man because he's quite uh, easygoing, kind, and gentle. Uh, he's not he's not outgoing. He's not belligerent or anything. You, you kind of like him. So I met Mrs. Walker, and she did like me. She took me under her wing, and she had a son going to Ohio State, and we became quite good friends. And she, you know, whenever I was down or anything, I could call her. And she was, she had always had a calming effect on me. So she was a big influence. And then also, I was fortunate enough to meet the McKay family. And it was a really small world because Mrs. McKay and her husband are from Amherst, Nova Scotia. And uh, she, she grew up and uh, she said when she was growing up, she used to babysit. And uh, on Sunday afternoons, when they didn't have anything to do, she'd take the, the kids that she was looking after out to the baseball game. And they play against, she'd go see the Blue Granites, a baseball team. And the Blue Granites were a black baseball team sponsored by our church. My dad played on the Blue Granites, Alton White Sr. So she got to see my dad play, but she didn't realize that. And she told me that when I got to play in Am in Columbus, and she kind of adopted me. She had four boys. She kind of adopted me as her fifth son. 
spent lots of time there, and she's just a wonderful lady. So, and, and another side to that is she had two boys that really liked hockey, and they were, I guess they were eight and ten years old when I played there. They liked hockey so much, they continued on, and they both ended up playing for Ohio State University. Oh, wow. What were their last names? McKay. Okay. Yeah. Actually, when I, when I went down to, they had me back, Linda and I went back to Columbus uh, in February. And uh, for, uh, on the, the Blue Jackets invited me back to drop, have a ceremony of pup drop. And uh, Peter McKay was there. So okay. that was really cool. So that's a really su- supportive environment to uh, help you be successful during those years. And then, yeah, with those, the McKay's were really, really good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And again, your point totals are um, pretty impressive for those years Fort Wayne, 66 games, 42 points. Columbus Checkers, 62 games, 66 points. Columbus Checkers in 1967, 75 points in 70 games. So tell us about your impacting community. Were you one of the, the stars that uh, everyone knew quite well for both those teams, Fort Wayne, Columbus? And did you have impacts in terms of, you know, signing autographs and um, oh, yeah. other other things? I, I, yeah, when I went to Fort Wayne, I was, you know, was, I was a rookie, just young and green and didn't know much. And I was, it was a learning process for me in Fort Wayne. And then when I got to Columbus, well, it was my second year there. And they had a lot of young guys too, but uh, I got better. I got more confidence. I played, you know, I had more of a leadership role. And I, I did. I had a pretty good year there, my first year in Columbus, and then I did my second year. I really started to come on because you know I knew I could play, and I I, I knew I had skills, and uh, people came out to see me because I put some points on the board, and you know people liked the way I played because I was quick, I was smart, and uh, I was a real playmaker too. So that really helped. So in in the last year, my third year there at Columbus, I had a a real good year too, and I was the MVP that year, I think. I think that was the year. I can't remember. And then after that, at the end of that season, I went up to Hayden into Providence, the American League. Can you describe to us what it was like playing that league? Like, what's what would be the um, the uh, number of fans, the stands, and uh, what were some of the other cities you played against? Well, yeah, well. When we first went to Columbus, like it was the first year, they they didn't know hockey at all, so we it was kind of like a selling. We had to sell the game, you know, and and also Ohio State University is in Columbus, and Ohio. Have you ever been to Columbus? It's a hockey town, and right up until football's over, it, it, nobody's going to see anything. As soon as football finished. We got on and there's a couple games were televised and they saw the, the excitement and the speed. Well, after that, hockey started to, to move along pretty well in Columbus. And we had some pretty good crowds there, especially on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, people come out and, and they really like the game. They like the game, the, the speed. And back then we had a couple guys who were pretty exciting. Uh, like Bartoli was there and another kid named Kerry Bond. We had a great kid, uh, Jerry Longman was a good hockey player. So we, we had an exciting team. So attendance wise, then international hockey league, isn't the NHL, but are there crowds of four or 5,000 or are the arenas any bigger? Well, no, we, our rink was about, uh, I guess the old, actually it went down 
the last time we were down in February, and they fixed it up. It seats about, uh, I would say, about 5,500. And, you know, Sunday afternoons, we get 5,000 people there when we were playing in uh, 67, 68, when we were when we had competitive teams. And so we, we drew pretty good crowds. And then Fort Wayne always had, you know, they signed Saturday night, they get seven or 8,000 easy. Hmm. So they drew pretty well. So you traveled everywhere by bus and who were the other teams in the league that you traveled to? Yeah. Back, back in Fort Wayne, we did everything with bus. We, except Des Moines, once in a while we fly to Des Moines cause it was a long trip, but everything was by bus. But it, it, you know, sometimes it's a four or five or six hour trip uh on bus but uh mo- most of the times like dayton was closed toledo was closed muskegon was four or five hours but it was all by bus then so what was the lifestyle the like? guys go, go ahead the, the guys back then were used to the bus because when you played in saskatchewan junior league you lived on the bus you went to flint lawn you went to uh you know calgary you yeah. went to moose jaw you're always on the bus and every ride was a long ride wasn't it yeah so what was the lifestyle like? Like, were you, were, were you paid well uh, and outside of the, what was it, was it grueling in terms of the practices and time commitment or? Well, the, the wages were, they didn't, we, we made uh, peanuts back then. Uh, so, you know, we didn't make a lot of money. That's why a lot of guys, as soon as the season ended, they had to go home and find a job, you know, like, uh, in the, in the off season because you did you didn't make a month enough to to carry you through the year not like now okay so you're pretty much september till april and then go back home did you go back home to winnipeg then or did you stay yeah i went uh, yeah i went back to winnipeg because uh, my family is winnipeg I, I i went back to winnipeg until 1960 uh 68 after the 68 season, I came, I went back to Winnipeg. I was going to stay there, but my brothers were out here on the West Coast, my three oldest brothers, and they were in the plastering and stucco business. Uh, they were tradesmen. They, they, they were journeyman tradesmen who were outstanding in their, in their field. And, uh, you know, they, they, they went down to New York for the World's Fair to, to do ornamental work and all that kind of stuff. But they moved out here to, to, uh, to BC. Because in Winnipeg, a lot of times in the wintertime, there's not a lot of construction work, whereas there was out here. So I came out in 1968, and uh, I was just going to visit. But then my brother said, well, listen, what, you don't have to go back to Winnipeg. Stay here. So I stayed with them. And in the off season, I worked with them to uh, make a living. And then uh, after that, uh, you know, I go back to hockey. Training camp is usually in September. So we go back to training camp, whether it's, uh, I think was most of the time was in Oshawa, or we had a couple times in Kitchener. If you're enjoying Recognize and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay. eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. So again, this period of time from the um, early 60s up to 71, you're playing for the International Hockey League, American Hockey League, then you move on to Province Red. It's never easy to talk about what you might face as a black person and, and understand 
your experiences in Winnipeg and and the East Coast generally were pretty positive. And until you move down to the U.S. and I'm talking to the U.S. at that particular time, you don't know how things might be different. So I think it's important for you to share with the listeners how um, how some of the not so great experiences you had that you had to overcome during that time period, whether it was in Fort Wayne or Columbus or Providence or visiting teams, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us. Well, you know, when I first went to Fort Wayne, it was an eye-opener for me because, you know, in in, in uh, Winnipeg, you know, I'm just junior white, Alton White, or junior, everybody called me junior because I'm Alton White Junior. But in Winnipeg, everybody knew me as junior. I, everybody treated me just like any other kid. You know, when I went on the road trip, I was always billeted to families, never had any problem at all. But when I went to Fort Wayne, first time away from home, uh, I'm with my buddies, Kenny Satilla, who I grew up with playing baseball, minor league baseball, and, and he played junior hockey with the Winnipeg Rangers. He's my winger there. Anyway, we went to Fort Wayne together, and uh, after training camp, we have to find a place to live. So uh, there's a, a guy there, an avid hockey fan, who took us under his wing, and he's taken us around showing us some places to live. And Fort Wayne's not a very big place, like about 150,000, I guess. But anyway, uh, there's, you know, there's, there are no mixed areas. You know, you're either the blacks live on this side of town and, and the white, uh, the Caucasians on the other side of town. Anyway, so we were looking for a place to live. And there, there's, at that time, there's four of us looking for a place to give, live because we all played together in Winnipeg. We want to stay together. So the first place we went, we looked around. It wasn't so hot. Then we found an, another place that was kind of okay. Well, you know, it's four bedrooms. Okay. So uh, Sotelo talking to the lady and she she said well come around the corner i want to talk to you so she went around the corner and she said you guys can't live here he says because he's black and that's the first time i ever ran into any kind of situation like that so uh that was my first really uh out with any racism because uh, you know and and of course when in the stands there's no black people either uh, when I played in Fort Wayne, they used to draw really well. But whenever I, I was the only black person in the stadium during the game, so yeah, the entire uh, arena, right? Yeah, the entire arena. Yeah, there there weren't even any black people working as ushers or in the arena. The no. only time I saw black people was when we had to move out of the Coliseum, and they had the the basketball tournaments, and then the black kids would come and play basketball and all that. But that's the only time. In, in Fort Wayne. And then Columbus, well, Columbus is kind of a different situation because it's a large city. And we lived up on campus close to where our, our uh, the fairgrounds were where we played games. So there's lots of black people there. And also Ohio State University is there and all those black football players. They had a great team. When my first year in, in Columbus, uh, they had, uh, uh, they had a great team they went to the rose bowl they had jack tatum john brock i think brockington and and they played against uh and they they got to go to the rose bowl they played against uh usc and they beat oj so when when they came back the football was you know there's people all over the place they're there in the top of the world so 
at the end of the season, you know, all those fans, they had to let out some steam so they came to the hockey games. And okay. We did pretty well out. Yeah. yeah. Face any challenges in Columbus, uh, either with your experiences in the no. town or uh, visiting teams, visiting games? Well, 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 the only time, well, <laughs> well, when I used to go into Dayton, boy, I'll tell you, they, they tore me up, you know. I heard more names that, I, you know, I never heard names like that before, but they're, they're on you. But, you know, like, I'm, I can't do anything. I'm on the ice. They're in the stands. They can say whatever they want. Uh, yeah. they, you know, derogatory stuff, trying to get you off your game. But I, I just have to try and concentrate and stay focused on what, why I'm there. And but that, do, they, do they, they face anything from any opposing players? Uh, not very often. No. No, 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 they're all pretty good because most of the guys are from small town Canada back then. That's true. So, yeah, so and there were very few Americans even. That's right. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I so then, I didn't have, I didn't have too many problems with any player. No, and then moving on to Providence, um, any experiences there you want to share? Uh, well, Providence was well. You know what? When I first went to, Pro- they used to always say, like, I remember when I was a, in Columbus, there was a there was a guy there named Hank Caruso who was from Columbus, or from from Rhode Island. He's Italian, deep rooted in, in in Providence, and he and he used to talk to, me, to some of the guys. He say, Whitey might have a little time, a little tough time in Providence because there's you know there's strict line. There's Italian. There's Irish. And they and the blacks and they don't they don't mix at all. So if he doesn't do really well, you could have a tough time. But when I went to Providence, boy, I'll tell you, it was, it was great. We had no problem at all. They they treated me. Of course, I played well. I was a good player. So I was quite popular, and you know they they treated my wife and I very well. Yeah, and again, your numbers in Providence are uh, you know high point totals again in 1969. Yeah. 48 points in 67 games, 1970, 61 points in 68 games, and 1971, 64 points in 76 games. So then um, the World Hockey Association is created. It's a big-time professional league to compete against NHL. So this meant new opportunities for players like you. So tell us about your your, uh, transition into that league and the draft and all those pieces. New York wouldn't have been my first choice, but they drafted me anyway. So we went there, and Marvin Milk, who's a great baseball man, and he was, he's, uh, and he's a good hockey. He's, he became the general manager, and Camille Henry was the coach. So and uh, Camille, uh, they, they brought in Camille because he was such a popular hockey player with the Rangers, and they, they wanted to sell tickets right away. But uh, So... Uh, when we when we first went to New York, it was kind of tough because we didn't have a practice facility. We had to at that time we couldn't train together because our contracts hadn't expired from the previous year. So uh, New York was kind of tough for me, and I, I I didn't like New York. It's too big of a city for me, and uh, so when the season started, it was okay. And then uh, we had we had some pretty good hockey players there, and. I, I wasn't getting enough ice team time in my to my imagination, and then I I went up to uh, Marvin. I told him my situation. I wasn't happy in New York, and he said, Alton, Alton, I understand. Okay, so he said, I'll see what I can do, and he arranged for the trade to go to L.A. and uh, and, and I knew uh, the coach in L.A. Terry Slater. I'd known him 
known him from the international league way back. And he, he always, he, he's always trying to get me to uh, get a trade from Columbus to, to Toledo where he was in the IHL. So uh, when I went to LA, he was the coach and uh, things worked pretty well for us in LA. Can you walk us back to the experience though of um, being drafted, I believe in it, in the WHA and it, it's a point in time where you're probably still obviously hoping something might work out for the NHL. So Tell us more about yeah. how that went and was, was your family well, able to experience the draft? And uh, Well, I was just, uh, you know, like when they, when they had a WHA draft, you know, like there was, there was rumors that uh, they were going to have the interleague draft and they, they thought that the Islanders were going to draft me and uh, uh, in their expansion draft and, 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 uh, my my agent at that time said, "Well, you know what? Why don't you try something new?" He said, "You've been here. There's teams have always had the opportunity. We had good years to go to the NHL, and they have always passed you by for some reason. Why don't you try something new?" So we we uh, Marvin Milks called called me, and we went down to New York and sit down and talk. And he said, "Well, you can you know you can hang around and wait till." The, for the NHL, it may not happen, but he said, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to play in the WHA and we'll see where it goes. So uh, weighing the situation and the money, the money they offered was pretty good too. So uh, that's why I chose to go to the WHA. So do you remember your first game playing for New York? And uh, can you describe for us what that was like? Well, yeah, actually, you know, it was pretty cool because the first game we played against was Winnipeg and uh, Bobby Hall. So everybody is more interested in Bobby Hall coming to town to play against the Raiders than, than us. But it was, it was pretty exciting. It was, it was pretty cool. What hockey ring did, did you play of for the New York Raiders? Gardens, Madison Square Garden. Oh, okay. so that's pretty special. So. Uh, yeah, I was playing the Gardens, yeah. Yeah, and then playing against Bobby Hall. Uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah. And then tell us about, do you recall scoring your first goal in the WHA? Uh, yeah. It's, uh, let me see. I, oh, I know. It was against Jerry Cheevers. We were, play, we were playing against Cleveland. Cheevers was playing for Cleveland Crusaders at the time. And uh, it was uh, my first goal was I scored against Cheevers. So LA, WHA, money's a bit better. Do you start, are you flying everywhere now that you're at WHA? And tell us what uh, the whole experience yeah. was like. Absolutely. Yeah. We traveled, uh, they treated us very, very well. First class, everything was first class. They like, well, being in LA too, we had long road trips. We had the, you know, like their closest trip was Houston or you know, Houston and Chicago. They were a closest trip. So, you know, we play couple games in LA then we fly off after the game you know then we we, we had long road trips though because we you know like when you're back east you you played in Philadelphia New York or yeah, Quebec or you know Ottawa was in the team that so we had long road trips that was the only thing we, we were long away quite a bit and what are some highlights you remember um, did your teams have some some good records. Did you go deep in the playoffs any year? Well, we had, uh, let me see now. The first year, we I had a couple hat tricks. I got a hat trick in Minnesota. And then uh, <laughs> in that game, I got uh, Minnesota. We were playing, uh, who was there? I can't remember. But I got two goals. Uh, 
I, I scored a hat trick in, in six minutes, three goals in six minutes. But the third one is in the third period. They had an empty net, and I was going in the, on a breakaway, and somebody threw the stick oh. on the ice. That was uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things. And I got wasn't another a, hat trick. In. Wasn't a penalty shot when they threw the stick? Well, actually, it's an automatic goal because the goaltender was out. Okay, okay, that's so, all you got. Yeah. Well, the goaltender, I'm going down the empty net, so it's automatic goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it was John Arbor. I think John Arbor was the guy that threw the stick. I can't remember. Okay. So, throughout the WHA, um, the racism issues, um, not, not much of a concern for you. No, no. Uh, well, you know, you, you still hear cat calls. I remember a couple of times in Houston, somebody come down to the glass and yell at you and <laughs> call you a monkey or something like that. But, you know, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. And there's a lighthearted comment you made in this uh, article someone gave to me from Hockey Digest where you talked about a four-year-old boy in Baltimore um, players were walking out and he was watching each player and then he saw you and he said, how did you get in here? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were quoted yeah, as saying just, that in 1973. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, and you know, I don't know if you remember the name Forbes Kennedy, Forbes Kennedy, NHL. This is their hockey family. Anyway, he was behind me and he just chuckled. He says, well, that's a good one. Hey, eh, Whitey. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So throughout all these years, your penalty minutes are very limited. So it looks like someone was looking after you if someone was trying to go after you. I didn't really see any high penalty minute total. So I, I know you're a scorer, but also was was there someone that kind of was a bit of a police person to protect you? Well, yeah, you know what? I played with a guy named Bob Kelly, Battleship Kelly. Bob yeah. and Bobby and I are good friends. We played together in um, in uh, in Columbus, and then we played together in uh, in uh, in Providence too. And and Bob, he, they didn't realize what a good hockey player he was, but he could really fight. And you know, he always used to say, "Whitey, you're my buddy. Nobody's ever going to do anything to you." So Bob was always there. And then uh, when I played in L.A., we had a couple guys, Stevie Sutherland and Earl Heitzkala. You know, I played with them quite a bit. And they, whenever anything happened, they were right there. So, I, I, you know, there's always somebody had my back. Yeah. So looking at your career, um, when it wraps up, you move on to uh, a few other stops. Greensboro Generals for a few games, and then Syracuse Blazers, National American Hockey League—is that what it was called? And the North American League. North, North, North American <laughs> Hockey League, yeah. And then final stop with WHA. Yeah. See, what happened was the franchise moved from Los Angeles to Detroit. It became it became the Michigan Stags. And at the beginning of the year, there they signed a bunch of guys, and they said, "Well." We wanted to go to start the season in Syracuse, so I, I went to Syracuse, started the season, and then the franchise in Mich Michigan went broke. The league took them over and moved the franchise to Baltimore. So the, the uh, at that time Johnny Wilson was a coach, and he said, "You better get, get Whitey out of Syracuse because I want him in Baltimore." So I I ended the season in Baltimore, and uh, that was my last year there. Yeah. So. 
I, I, I think back to what you told us earlier about your experience with the profile of scoring the goals for the New York Rangers. And it, it appears that um, an opportunity was missed in terms of uh, what you could have meant to many markets based on merit by your play as a scorer. And then, yeah. you know, discussion you made with your agent about WHA or not. And then the size issue, um, size issue or race were one or two things that uh, probably were, were barriers for your, your Yeah, you continued. know, because I'm 175 pounds, but when I played, I was barely 155. So it wasn't very big at all. But, you know, anyway, I... Uh, not too much I can do about it. And I remember when I was in uh, Providence and we had an affiliation with uh, Oakland and uh, Bill Torrey and Frank Selke were general manager, assistant general manager there. And they took me aside and they said, you know, we'd like to take you to Oakland, but, you know, if something happened and we got there, we'd hate to have to send you back down. And so they gave me stories like that. So, I, you know, but I can't do anything if they're, they're not going to give me the opportunity. But I think if I had played there, I would have been very, very popular and I, I would have played pretty well because most of the guys there, you know, I played with in Providence or somewhere along the line anyway. Yeah, I mean, your your achievements of WHA definitely should be uh, celebrated. And we know there, um, there are all kinds of players that kind of made that transition. So... I guess when I see these numbers and I see the statistics, it seemed like the, the time was right for that opportunity for you. But, but, uh, but, you know, on the issue of inclusion, you know, there, there were still difficult times for uh, black players to break through. And in fact, um, Tony McKechnie, um, who was one of the high ranking players was originally drafted by the Birmingham uh, Bulls and, and the season ticket holders did not want him to play for that team. And he ended up, you know, making it for Buffalo. So it does, it does seem like there was, um, there were some challenges definitely, but, um, but you, you definitely should be applauded for your accomplishments with your long career with the WHA. And um, then uh, I, I, I think I've had some good years. I, you know, I, I've accomplished a few things and uh, I don't know if you ever heard the story. Uh, one of my favorite stories is when I played in LA, I met, uh, I was at the, at the, uh, we played at a sports arena, which is downtown by the L.A. Coliseum. Not a very good part of town. But anyway, uh, we were playing one game, and there's a young kid, a black kid, who, who was at the game. Him and his friend were at the game, and they came down. And in L.A., we come out of our dressing room. We go across this big rubber mat to the rink. And when I'm going across this rubber mat, he, he looked, he yelled at me and said, Alton. And I looked at him, and he sees smiling and waving. So I I winked at him and waved. And uh, anyway, I, I never thought anything of it. So about uh, three years ago, uh, I got a call from uh, sports writer Jeff Baker. I don't know if you know that name. I uh, know he, he. You know Jeff? No, but I think I, I recall this story you're telling me now. But but please continue yeah. on for our listeners. Yeah, and, and Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff called me. Uh, he said he was he was working for the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners, and when they got the Kraken franchise, he went to the to the owners of the, uh, of the he went to the editor of the newspaper. He said, "I'd like to cover hockey because I'm from Montreal. I love hockey. I've been a hockey fan all my life." 
and if I could cover the Krakens, it'd be great. So he got that job, and he said he was out in one of these uh, uh, advertising stints, and he bumped into this guy, and the, the guy walked up to him, and his name is Eric Pettigrew, and Eric Pettigrew is a state legislator for the state of Washington, and he told uh, Jeff, he said, Jeff, you know, I love hockey. He said, you know why I love hockey? He said, because when I was a young boy, I went to a hockey game, and he was I was the only black face in the stands, and Alton White was there. He was the only black hockey player. And he said, when I went home, he told his mom, he said, Mom, Alton can play hockey, and he's a hockey player. I can do something, too. So he said he changed his life around. He went to school. He graduated from high school. He got a scholarship to play football at the University of Oregon. And he played, he was an offensive lineman. He played there for four years, graduated. And then he went to uh, England for a year and he came back, went to the University of Washington. He got his uh, master's in political science. And uh, after that, he said he got a job. Uh, he ran for uh, state legislator in the state of Washington. He ran 13 times, was elected 13 times, and when he told Jeff, he said, the reason I'm here today is because of Alton White, and he had three ambitions in hockey. He said, I'd like to meet Willie O'Ree, Don Cherry, and Alton White. So he, uh, Jeff got a hold of me, and uh, Eric and I got together, and now we're very good friends. Just a remarkable stories. It just shows the power of uh, the influence. And, you know, throughout this interview, uh, I'm sure there's there's many untold stories of people you impacted when you were in Columbus and Providence. And they they may played the game. Like you said, those um, that uh, family went to the Suns played for Ohio State um, or maybe maybe or maybe they had their kids join the game just because, you know, they were able to see themselves represented. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, <laughs> I hear I hear these stories all the time, and I get I get all kinds of mail, people writing, and they tell me that they heard a stories about me, and they want autograph pictures and stuff like that. So, yeah, you must get I'm, goosebumps I'm, from just uh, hearing all those experiences. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's amazing. So, um, so I just want to get to a few other things here. Then, what did you do after your professional career ended? Well, after I came back to Vancouver, my brothers, like I mentioned, they were in construction business, and I joined them. We have a family business, our construction business, the White Brothers Plastering and Stucco. So I did. And then, uh, unfortunately, my brothers passed away very young. They, they, when they were young, plasters back then, they used to do the hospitals and all kinds of stuff and museums and all the ornamental work, but they used to work with asbestos. And that got them. So my three older brothers all passed away of cancer, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I continued on in uh, the business. I I sold it about. No, I guess I've been retired 15 years now. Okay. I sold it 15 years ago. So and yeah, did, that's what I did in the construction and, business. And did you ever keep playing hockey, or were you involved in any other way, coaching or anything, or any other well responsibilities? Yeah, actually, I did. I I coached minor hockey. Uh, in I, I, we built our first house in 1974 in Delta, and uh, I coached there for uh, seven, eight, nine years. But 
uh, during that time, after I retired, I came out here and a lot of the guys that I played with or against, like Paul Schmier and, and Hank Cahan and uh, all, a lot of the old guys from the old Western League, like uh, 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 Davey Duke and uh, Phil Maloney they're, and uh, Bruce Carmichael, they're ex-Canucks. So what we used to do, we got together for a skate once a week, but then we played benefit games for charity. So I, I'm, I've been a long-time member of the Canuck alumni, and we played games played games for all. We played all over, all over the West Coast. We've gone to Germany and played against the Flying Fathers, played against Montreal All-Stars for charity. So I, I did that quite a few years, and, I, and I'm still an active. I'm not an, I don't play anymore, but I still go to the functions. So I'm still sure. a member of the Canuck alumni. Yeah. And I think it was great. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, uh, as you said, people are reaching out to you. You did that interview I saw with uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. So it's nice to see that people are uh, connecting and recognizing the uh, your uniqueness and contributions you've made to the game. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really has been something. Like the Canucks are, are very good to us. I, I've, I've dropped the ceremonial puck at the Canucks games and everything, along with Rob Brathwaite and uh, yeah. John Craighead. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so, Bill Green. I don't know if you remember that name. Uh, Bill Green. Yeah, Claude Green. We had him on as well. Uh, so now that now that you yeah we had him on, uh, Claude Bill Green. He uh, living out west now too. I think. Uh, he lives in Calgary. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And his 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 daughter's involved in the TV. Oh yeah. As well. Yeah. So yeah. there might be must be a sense of optimism anyway in terms of the direction that hockey is going knowing what you know now and everything that you've experienced, what, what's a path you think that uh, we all need to keep on in terms of opening up doors and ensuring that uh, first of all, the game's open to everyone. And secondly, that, that no one has to face any of the, the, uh, the racism in the game that uh, sometimes uh, uh, those people from uh, underrepresented groups face. You know, it's, it's very difficult. One thing about hockey is an expensive sport. So it, it, a lot of kids can't afford to play because they can't afford the equipment. They can't get on the ice time. So that, that's one of the things we have to rectify. I don't know how we can do that, but uh, especially now, because uh, the, the facilities that they cost so much to operate. So And, and introducing the young kids. Uh, I know here where I live, there's, there's a... It's a very well. Oh, there's a lot of East Indian kids that play, and uh, and now, but a lot of the East Indians are getting involved financially, sponsoring these teams. Like the owner of the thirty team now, the East Indian team, and they have they have a couple kids playing. And my friend John Craighead, who used to play for, I think he played in Toronto a bit, but he played with the Canucks too. He owns the junior team, and and he's got some some minority kids playing. So. Uh, it's it, it's slowly, but but gradually getting better. Uh, but you know, the more immigration you have, you're introducing these kids to the sport, so and they'll like it because they like the speed, they like the contact. And yeah, it's an exciting. So I guess what what you'd agree though, the idea of um, being more intentional and showing others that people who look like them are in the game, as you've described some of the stories you gave. Um, that can't be understated. For sure, yeah, that, that's right. Because 
you know, kids have to be able to identify. You know, they can see, if they can see somebody out there doing that, well, they can do it too. They can emulate those those people. Yeah. So um, just wrapping up here, I'd like to ask you, what advice would you give to a young hockey player today? Well, I would say, you know, stick to it. But you know what? Hockey is a great sport. It opens a lot of doors, but you still have to have a good education. You need something to fall back on. So, you know, and, you know, I think that more and more kids are going the college route because when you come out of college, you're a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and I think you have a better uh, focus on what you have to do to achieve. Uh, whereas junior is great, but, you know, not all junior hockey players can be NHL. you got to have something to fall back on. That's so true. And players develop at different stages as well, and the opportunity perhaps oh, to have a, a university degree to fall back on is never a bad thing as well. Absolutely. So I just want to close out by um, thanking you. It's really been a real uh, special honor to have you on, on our show as the first uh, black player to play in the WHA and all the other experiences you've, uh, you've shared with us, the many accomplishments and uh, mentors you've mentioned. Uh, be very useful for, uh, for our listeners and young children to aspire to be, uh, to be just like you. So really appreciate you spending time on our show, Alton. Well, thanks for having me, and I appreciate your, your time and uh, taking interest in, in how my well-being and my old days. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. By lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity-deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the stories shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, Check out HockeyEquality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share this story with your kids, then check out My Hockey Hero. It's shorter and suitable for the whole family. You can click the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Podstarter production. production.